Well, good morning and welcome everyone. I am your host, James Orr, and this is another episode of the servingrealestateinvestors.com podcast, Substack, webinar, whatever we're doing here. So today is more of a like practical behind the scenes sort of look at what is the cost of running a local real estate investor group? Because I think some people are like, you know, I don't want to do this because I'm afraid it's going to cost too much money. But let's go over what the actual costs are. And by me sharing you some of the costs that I have when doing this, it'll also reveal some more about like how it's set up. Because I, I believe, and, and maybe you believe this to be true as well, but I believe that sometimes by learning about something from a different angle, in this case, the, the cost of doing something, you will also be revealed more information about how I run a group, how the group gets you know, set up, how we do things. And then it's not that I'm trying to deliberately not share with you the information about like how all this stuff works. It's just sometimes it doesn't occur to me to share with you something until I have to explain something else. And then you're like, oh, I didn't realize you were doing it that way. I'm like, yeah, that's how we do it. And so that's why we're going to go over the cost of running a local investor group, kind of serve the purpose of giving you an idea of what the actual cost of running it are, and then also maybe reveal some additional information. So it should go without saying, but you need, in my opinion, some type of organizational system to coordinate your group. And what I would recommend is go with whatever the largest, most popular, one that's going to bring in with their own network members to your group that are already looking for information about learning how to invest in real estate or you know whatever the variation you're doing, you know, fix and flip properties or buy and holds or nomads or achieve financial independence with house hacking or whatever you're doing there. Um, and for me, I think right now in our marketplace, Meetup is the you know 300 pound gorilla in the room. And that is the one you probably will want to start up with. I think that they are, they've got a pretty well-established spot in the marketplace, not saying that there aren't other ones and that this will change over time, which I think that it absolutely 100% could. But right now, I think Meetup is probably the predominant one to kind of consider. So Meetup offers either a monthly fee or a six-month billing cycle. I think that it's cheaper to do. It is cheaper, but I, I think that it's worthwhile just doing the six months at a time. Um, and so that's what I tend to do. Um, so basically, if you're in the United States, that's the United States right here. Um, the six-month subscription is $16.49 per month or about $100, $98.94, about 100 bucks uh, every six months. Or if you want to do it monthly, it's 24 bucks a month. So if you were going to do it that way, that'd be like $150 every six months, you know, give or take. Um, or you could do it for 100 bucks every six months. I would just do the six months and do it. Um, it's going to take time to get off the ground anyway. And so you're not going to, you wouldn't know if this was successful in a single month. And I think I shared with you my numbers as to why I believe that to be true. So I think it's worthwhile actually signing up for six months. You know, give this a year, two or three. You know, when I'm thinking about like projects I'm running, I'm thinking about giving them like a, you know, five or seven year runway to see where we end up showing up for work every day, doing the work, you know, putting in the effort for, you know, five years or seven years and seeing where we kind of like are. Um, uh, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of me launching like the new real estate investing podcast, which I'll do a special like anniversary episode to reveal downloads and all that other stuff for that. Um, but the thinking is that's year one of like eight. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, this is just the beginning. 
I'm making mistakes. I'm learning. I'm trying to build some momentum, trying to get an audience, trying to you know establish that. And I think the same applies for you doing your meetup is that you're not going to expect to see this you know, in three months or six months. And I think, I imagine, this is my guess. I imagine that for a lot of professionals who are wanting to serve real estate investors, that can be a hard commitment. You know, the idea of saying, okay, I'm really going to go and I'm going to commit to this for a long period of time. Maybe, you know, I, I almost wonder if that is a superpower for me. My like ability to just decide on something and be consistent. And it's, it doesn't happen in everywhere. Um, you know, th- there's definitely things that I have not made decisions on that I probably should, you know, health and exercise and diet and all that other stuff. But there are other things that I'd like, okay, look, you know, this is my thing. I'm committing to this. Uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of those that have occurred in my life, you know, being married, you know, 28 years, um, eating at the same place for lunch for many, 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 many years, decades. Um so, you know, there's stuff like that where you just kind of, you know, doing the investor group. So, I mean, like, maybe that is my superpower. And uh, for some folks, maybe it's harder for them to do. Okay, so I, I digress. So, I think for the meetup, you want to do the uh, six-month one. So, it's going to be about $100 every six months. You can organize up to three different groups with unlimited members in each group with that particular thing. And so, I don't know. I, you could run multiple groups. I told you I did some experimenting with some different groups, different points. But uh, you could really just do that one group which is probably what I would recommend. Just do one group and uh, have it be for whatever the investor club is in your, that you decide to name in your market. Uh, you can promote your group to your network of potential members. Um, one of the great things about Meetup is that they will, um, as you put out classes, they will actually try to find you members. So like they'll email and say, hey, here are Meetups based on some of the interests you have to other people, based on some of the interests you have, consider going to one of their Meetups. And so they'll try to get people to join your Meetup, um, which is Awesome. I mean, I, this is in a lot of ways, it's the best $100 you'll ever spend for lead generation in your real estate investing business. And I, I say that with all sincerity and belief, because you will find people who are interested in real estate and real estate investing just through meetups, normal advertising of the classes that you are putting out there. So if you're putting out a class every week and the topic is interesting, you're going to find people joining your group. And I showed you the numbers. I showed you the numbers in a previous class. So go look at those and you'll see that growth rate by putting up some interesting class titles and attracting people to your group. I mean, where else can you find prospective clients like that if you're a real estate agent or a lender or whatever for that cost? Go look at, you know, go divide the number that we saw uh, on my previous one for the three months or six months or whatever I did there and divide that by $100 for a six month membership and meetup. And you will get an idea of the cost per potential prospect. Um, you know, not that we're, you know, like saying in a negative way, but that's what a real estate client is for us. It's someone who is a potential person that we can help serve them and add value to their lives and help them buy houses, buy investment properties. And so they're a prospect for our business. Um, so it allows you to promote your group, easily schedule events and communicate with members. Yet yeah, you can put your schedule on there, put all the meetups, have people RSVP. It helps you organize and stay with all those. Um, you can appoint a leadership team if you want assistant or, um, you know, a, a, another professional in a related field, like you're the agent and they're the lender or they're, you're the lender and they're the agent or insurance agent or whatever else you got there. You could coordinate with other people and do this as a group project, share the load, share the leadership, share everything. If you want to do that. Um, I will tell you if I were doing this from scratch and maybe this should be its own separate class. If I were doing this from scratch, I would have one very clear owner of the group um, and have other people participate and benefit from it, but realize that 
one person is the guy or gal who owns the meetup and who is responsible for everything. They pay for it. They do all that stuff. If you want other people kind of like working with you, collaborating with you um, to do this, I think that is a really good idea to collaborate with other people. However, I would be, I would be careful about saying all three of us own this. Um, as I evidenced by, you know, my, I talk about, um, you know, the value of, of forming a meetup like this. Uh, I think you want to have one clear owner from the beginning and they should know that they are not an owner in it. Um, and that they are welcome to participate and, you know, generate business and, you know, help teach a class or two or three, or help check people in or whatever you're going to do, spread the, the distribute the, the workload and stuff like that. But I would have one clear owner. I would not do three of you as owners or something like that, or two of you as owners, even, um, it's harder to do that. So I would just say it that way. Uh, so appoint a leadership team and then set membership dues and event fees to help cover costs. You can charge fees in order to do this. I wouldn't recommend it, but it's up to you. You could, you could decide to you know, charge a membership fee or you know, charge a fee in order to come to the meeting. Um, I think one of, the, one of the ways I thought about our group, and I probably should vocalize this a lot more because I don't do it quite enough. And the way I think about the, the real estate investing podcast stuff that we're doing now and the Substack and everything else, I, I think of it as, you know, there's these companies out there that they do real estate education, right? They, they spend a lot of money on direct mail to get people come to a, you know, free weekend or free weekday nights kind of class on whatever it is, how to flip properties, how to wholesale properties, how to make a gazillion dollars investing in real estate, sort of the, uh, the more sleazier side of our business. They do this free thing where they, they reveal a couple little tips and stuff like that, show about the business model. Then they try to get you to enroll in a $300 weekend course to jumpstart your business. And then once you go to the $300 weekend course, then they try to upsell you to a you know, $3,000 you know, three-day seminar or whatever it is. And then they try to upsell you to the $30,000 you know, kind of like coaching program or whatever that they've got there. Um, and my thought is for the stuff that we offer is I want to exceed the quality and quantity of stuff that we give to our real estate investor members and have it be all free. I'd rather you take the $30,000 you would have spent on one of these like educational programs and have you just attend our classes, but then use that money and actually buy a house with it. Go buy a investment property, you know, go buy a nomad property to live in at least live there for a year and then convert it to a rental, use that $30,000 for that instead of the education and to kind of do the properties that way. I think that's a better approach. I think that I probably should vocalize that more. You may want to adopt a similar strategy for your stuff and actually sell against, you know, them spending the $30,000. Say, look, take that same money and actually hold on to it for now. You can always go sign up for them later. Let's have you go and do this class now, do all the classes, go through the videos we got, go through all the materials, they'll sit down with you. I will actually help walk you through buying of the property and getting it all set up and getting all the stuff you need, offer to do that for them. And you know, when they buy a property, that's whatever it is, you know, $10,000 in some markets for a real estate commission, 12,000, 15,000, whatever it is there. Um, and if they're gonna buy another property the next year, you've made the same $30,000. So you should be, able and willing to offer all that same stuff, right? Like all the training and materials that they have, not overnight, not instantly, but that sort of idea. So, all right, enough digressions. This is why I think going over this stuff, sometimes you hear different angles and kind of me taking about that. Okay, so let's go over some of the costs. So we talked about Meetup. Meetup's about $100 every six months. I think you could optionally do this differently and do more of like a Zoom one where you do video webinars instead of doing the in-person. I will tell you, if you're trying to grow a local brokerage business, doing the in-person meetings is better. Doing in-person meetings is going to be better than doing Zoom. You have, this is sort of like the hierarchy of communication. Like what's better from a 
you know, feeling a connection, human to human connection with somebody? Is it getting face to face and having lunch and seeing each other and talking and sharing and, and actually touching, you know, hold, shaking hands or a hug or whatever you, you do? Like, like that version of it, like what is the strength of that compared to an email? Obviously, the in-person face-to-face one is a stronger emotional bonding sort of connection than email. But I think there's other graduation gradations inside that, you know, like the, um, you know, the, the meeting in person versus Zoom, where you see people face to face versus talking on the phone versus, you know, doing an email versus text, you know, like, you know, there's like all these different kind of like hierarchies of communication styles where some are better than others. And so meet up in person is better than Zoom. Um, and I think that's. You, you can kind of extrapolate from there what I mean by that. Okay, so if you're going to do Zoom though, like I do Zoom right now, I, actually we're on Zoom right now. So $105 a month is what I currently pay for Zoom for doing, being able to do webinars uh, compared to $100 for every six months for Meetup. And Meetup will actually get you clients. They will, they will find people to join your Meetup. That's part of what they're doing. The Zoom is literally just for the technology costs. There's, they're not doing any marketing for you to get people onto your Zoom calls, onto your webinars. Okay. I mean, you could probably do a cheaper Zoom plan. I think the Zoom plan I've got has the webinar add-on, which allows us to do these webinars where we're teaching classes instead of just a meeting where everyone comes in. You got to keep muting people and there's faces and all sorts of other stuff. So I do the webinar version of the Zoom, which is a little bit more money, I think. Um, again, I'm not an expert on that. Uh, in order to do the meetup, so I think you do need to have some type of presentation that you're going to teach. Uh, I do PowerPoint. So Microsoft's office suite. I think that's like $12.50 a month uh, for the business use, or there's probably free alternatives. There's probably like a Google version of PowerPoint for slides or something like that that you probably could use and save some money if you're not willing to do that. I think PowerPoint's great. I'm willing to pay the money. Uh, and so that's what I use for that. Um, as far as getting a space, a lot of times you can get free or very low cost options and all the way up to completely paid options for renting a room. But your real estate brokerage's education room, where they hold their monthly meeting or weekly meeting, or where they hold their CE classes or things like that, you could go and use those. Or, you know, if your brokerage doesn't offer that, maybe consider switching brokerages or go find a lender who's got one or find a title company who's willing to allow you to use their education room or, you know, go use the actual board of realtors in your town for the education room. That's what I personally do. For a very long time, there was no fee. If you were a member of the board, the local board, they would allow you to use the education room as long as they were not using it for something else. And so we had just like, you know, Wednesday nights was our night to teach class. And so we just had the boardroom for that. And they never taught CE classes at Wednesday night at six o'clock. Um, I can't remember us having to cancel based on that. And then I think after a while, they, they didn't even bother scheduling stuff. If they were going to schedule, they're like, oh, James does the the room on Wednesdays at six o'clock. So we're just not going to schedule that. Uh, but then they switched over and we started actually having to pay a fee. I think uh, what I, my guess is, I don't know if this is true. My guess is that somebody abused it. Um, somebody used it for something that was not appropriate in some form or another. And they started charging me what felt like a nuisance fee. Um, I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was 50 bucks a meeting or something like that, or 25 bucks a meeting. I don't even remember. Um, but you could go and get the board of realtors and use the education room. That's what we would do. They had a nice education set. They had like big monitors and we could hook our computer up and you could have it seat there. And there was seated all classroom style. Like, like you'd go to see, just kind of remember like how it is. That's how we would do our classes. 
So you could do the Board of Realtors, or I also held classes at the Chamber of Commerce, Chamber of Commerce occasionally, where we do like educational classes at the Chamber, because they have like their leads groups and their tables are all set up for doing that. And so we, we would occasionally do some classes there. So you could do that. And then from time to time, I would use a hotel. I'd go rent out a hotel and we do classes in there. Um, and those are relatively inexpensive too, especially if you're not paying for all the extras and food and stuff. So everything from free to, I don't know, probably a hundred bucks, 200 bucks uh, per meeting. That's probably in the ballpark of what it would cost to get the room and do that. As far as like uh, recording equipment, because you're going to want to record these classes, you can do it really, really cheap. And we did that very early on and the recording quality was not great. And so we decided to splurge and, and pay some money in order to get like, a, they're almost like the wireless mics you'd use in like church, right? Like if you're going to have your church and they want to have the wireless mic that the, the pastor or the priest or whatever it is, or, you know, they, uh, basically they, they use on their, their hip. And then it has like a little lapel mic or a headphone mic that kind of goes down there. That's what we ended up using. And then I had a second mic that was a live mic for questions from the audience, and uh, it was like an ongoing joke that, you know, people would like use the microphone in the room or they try to like ask their questions at the mic and I'd be like, hey, wait for the microphone. And then I'd have to constantly say, you know, people on the podcast can't hear you. And because it doesn't project their voice, it's not an amplifier system. At least it wasn't for us. We didn't have it hooked up for an amplifier. We just had it hooked up to the computer to record the classes using a little bit better microphone quality on whoever was presenting. And then one mic in the room for asking questions. And then they'd like constantly have their hand where they didn't even have the mic like near their mouth. And, you know, so the quality of the questions was not great, but it was better than not having a mic in the audience. And so we would do that. And so I think the, I think the one we got, it was on Amazon. You can do search. I'm sure there's other ones out there now, but I'm pretty sure at the time it was about 400 bucks and it was a one-time cost in order to get that hardware. Um, it's like a wireless thing and it had two microphones. Uh, one of them was a lapel mic a wireless lapel mic and then the other one was a wireless handheld mic and you could use something like that for your meetings if you want to do that you probably could get it cheaper if you just wanted to do one mic and save a couple of bucks and then also um because i was really paranoid that i would run out of batteries on the wireless mic and then part of the recording would not be recorded and i didn't want to have to teach another class because my batteries went dead so i would actually replace the batteries brand new every single class so that it never happened. You probably could do it every other class and be fine, or maybe even three classes. But I was really paranoid and it was worth the, whatever it was, two bucks in batteries that I had to pay in order to replace the batteries on the lapel mic every single time. The, the base for the, the uh, microphone is, is static, it's set up, it's uh, plugged in, but the lapel mic was battery operated. So I usually replace the batteries. And so that was a couple bucks per meeting to do that. Um, I think you also wanna have some type of email system in addition to Meetup, Meetup, you can actually use to broadcast out to your list. You don't get their emails when they register. Although some people try to do this sneaky thing where they ask them for their email as one of the questions when they sign up. I probably wouldn't bother with that. Uh, what I do is when someone comes to a class, we have them fill out that form I showed you. And one of the questions on there is their email address. And then we have their email address. We usually add them to some type of email system so that we have a redundant system for people to stay in touch with beyond Meetup. Because People may opt out of Meetup. They may decide to quit Meetup. They may lose their account there. And we have their separate email address for contacting them directly with that. I think that's extremely valuable. I mean, one of the things you're really building here is a list of people who have an interest at one point or another in real estate investing. And so the list is the value. You know, I think really that 
the list is one of the major values. I don't know if it's the value, right? Like there's relationships with people and goodwill and you know, kind of the class library is IP and IP is intellectual property. But I think having that email list is really, really, really important. So I think you do need to have a separate list built somewhere, even if it's just an Excel spreadsheet, I'd rather you have it, email it so that it's actually been, I don't know, used and warmed up so that you don't, you know, when you finally do email it, you know, three years later or something like that, you know, people are like, who are you? You never email me. And now all of a sudden you're emailing me every day or every week or whatever it is. So I think you should actually have a list set up and, and actually use the list to kind of keep it fresh and updated. And so you could use like a free service like um, Substack in order to have your mailing list or MailChimp or, you know, something where it's free up to a certain level. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Um, and then if you get to the certain point where you have to pay, then it's probably, I don't know, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, somewhere in that ballpark in order to have your email list. But I think that's worthwhile. Uh, miscellaneous printing. So I would say on average, it's probably about $10 per meeting in just miscellaneous printing. And I would say most meetings, it's not that much at all. It's you just printing out, you know, you print out like 500 of the new member profiles once you get one that you really like and you're going to use. But you may print out, you know, 100 of those at a time while you're still working through and making changes and tweaking it and whatever you're doing there. Um, and then that once that's done and you get like, you know, five people or 10 people new uh, per meeting, you might have, you know, five of those go out. And so what's that? Like 50 cents. So it's really, really cheap for those meetings. Where you get hit with the printing costs is occasionally we will do a class where it's important to do handouts. Well, like we'll have something where they need to see it visually or take notes on or like a check sheet or, or MLS sheets as an example to go through something or a lender handout for loan information or something where you're trying to have some type of handout or deal analysis spreadsheets. A lot of times I'll print out like really big oversized deal analysis spreadsheets so that we can see them and they can take notes in it and stuff like that. And so those end up being like, you know, 10 or $20 for the printouts for the class, depending on how big the class is going to be for doing those. And so on average, it's probably $10, a little bit less for printouts. Um, so that's sort of where I am with that. The other thing I would do is uh, we do a monthly printed mailed newsletter. It's a color, four page printed newsletter. I'll do a whole class on newsletter. I'll show you examples, uh, but I'll actually today. But what I would actually do is when I sent the newsletter to be printed and mailed out from the mailing house, because I wouldn't do it in-house, I would outsource it. But I would have them do, and I'd have them print extra ones. I don't remember how many I did. Probably in the 25 to 50. It was just automatically where when I sent the newsletter, they automatically printed 25 extra or 50 extra. I don't forget how many it was. And then they'd send them to me in the mail, just one package to me, like personally. Then what I would do is I would take those and I would bring them, put them in the, the kind of like a milk crate box. And I'd bring them with me to meetings. And I would just, when people come in, I'd ask them, hey, did you get the newsletter? Um, and that's part of what, you know, when they sign up for the profile, they'll get on my newsletter list if they're not an agent. Um, but I would I had add them to the newsletter so that they would be printed and mailed a newsletter. But a lot of times they did not get one for whatever reason, or they hadn't seen it yet, and they want to read it. And so I just give those out as additional things for people, especially when they come in early. And when they ran out, they ran out. So I'd say, you know, I have an extra one of these. Here you go. Here's this. And so when someone is brand new, there's a possibility that they'll get a sheet. When they get the sheet and they fill it in, they'll get like, you know, three back episodes, three, three back editions of a newsletter. If it has been that long, usually it's like one or two. Uh, and then they may get like uh, the handout for tonight. And then they may get the, the book, the Nomad book, if we're doing that. Or maybe they even get a bonus book if I'm doing like a Christmas gift or something weird. So they're getting like a whole bunch of stuff by coming to class. Um, and so that's part of the cost for doing it. Speaking of books, we usually give out that Nomad book uh, for new members. Um, I think we were paying like, 
I don't know, like $3 to $4 per book um, is what we were doing. And we were using Amazon's Create Space service for doing this. I just order, I don't know, whatever it is, depending on how how anxious or how uh, how sort of like optimistic I was at the time. I would either print out like 20 books and get those or 100 books if I thought I was going to have a bunch of new people at classes for you know the next couple of months. And so it's a convenience factor of how many you want to have in stock. Um, and then I just give those out and they cost like, I don't know, four bucks each. So you're giving out $4 there. If you decide, hey, look, I'm not willing to write a book or have a book or whatever it is, you may, your books may cost you, you know, 20 bucks. And you may go pick like the best book on real estate investing that you know, and you're willing to go buy, you know, 20 of those in quantity and give them out to clients as new members. Like I should probably do another class. I have a book for, it's up back there. I looked back there. So I have, I have a book that I give to clients, which is different than the Nomad book, which is sort of like the overview of my buying system and my selling system and my investing system, and then my referral directory at the back. And that was sort of in this big eight and a half by 11 book that really starts off as like a, you know, a normal eight and a half by 11 sheet of the tips for buying your tips for selling your tips for investing, and then your referral sheet. And then as you grow over time, it becomes worthwhile for you to bind that into book format. And then, you know, add like a little index in the front, you know, add some filler information about different things and eventually becomes its own full book. But it starts off as like a one sheet for buying, one sheet for selling, a one sheet for investing and a, uh, you know, a sheet for your referrals. And you grow that over time from doing that. I guess this class is going to go a little tiny bit long today. Sorry about that. All right, so those are the uh, books uh, and I think once you start recording classes, you realize just how valuable your class recording content is, your PowerPoint slides, your class recordings, like the videos, the audios you are going to rip out of them for doing the podcast. And so you don't want to have to do that work again. You don't want to lose those. And so I think it's important to back up all your stuff. So I would include a, a Dropbox subscription or some other type of like offsite redundant backup system that you only store your stuff in that spot. Like that's where you're constantly working on everything. And you have a nice, nice folder file system, a file folder system for, for that. Maybe I should show you mine another class. Maybe I'll do a class on like my process and my folders and all that stuff and how I do it and like what files I keep and what I don't. And I just basically keep everything, but I should probably show you that. And so I have all this stuff here. I think it's worthwhile keeping those because if you lose a class, then you have to start all over from scratch with that PowerPoint thing. And, you know, who wants to go rewrite a new class description, um, especially when I, I'll, I'll tell you, like, when I go teach classes, I'm pulling information from other classes. So, like, once I do a really good slide on whatever, on uh, how to access equity, I just taught a class on how to access equity this morning. Once I get a really good slide on that, guess what? If I ever talk about accessing equity again, I'm not starting over from scratch. I'm going to that old presentation. I'm pulling that slide out and putting it into the new presentation and, and I'm tweaking it from there. And that's how you get better through iteration is you, you have a slide that you had once and you taught a class on it and someone gave you feedback or someone in the audience said, hey, what about this? And you're just like, that's a really good point. Let me add that for next time. And yeah, this is how that works. And then you add on it. And then the next time you put it in there, it becomes a new slide with the new improved information. And sometimes it becomes so robust that that becomes its own class. Sometimes it's, that becomes its own two or three slides. And sometimes you teach it from a different angle and that becomes that, the baseline. So we store all this stuff so that we have really good organized systems for being able to find that. Um, I probably should also add in here, I use Notion. I'll make a note, but I also use uh, Notion as my database. I think that's like $5 a month. Um, but I use that as kind of my process to keep track of things. I think that's optional. I don't think you need to use Notion, but I'll put it in there just kind of like a way. Notion is what I use in order to keep track of where classes are, what classes I taught, 
what the content in those classes were topics to kind of stay organized and be able to sort through those and do that. Um, some other miscellaneous supplies. I use those hello, my name is stickers when people kind of sign in. Uh, we write their name down uh, using a big marker, a Sharpie marker, and then we have their name on there. And we actually would color code them. So um, in our real estate investor club, red name tags meant that you were staff, you were admin, you were kind of like one of the leadership team who ran the class. So oh, I would wear a red name tag, you know, Brian and Tammy and Allison would all wear red name tags and we'd have those in there. So like, if you were like working, you got a red name tag. If you were a nomad, you got a green name tag. So nomads were all green name tags. And then if you were just a regular old investor, um, you got a black name tag, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. Um, so we have those on there. I'm pretty sure that was the color coding for those. And then I had like another color or two, but I never really ended up using them. I, I always thought I might like separate it out if you were a wholesaler or, you know, a professional, but I never really got to that level. But we did separate out nomads and regular real estate investors. And we did have admin wear a different color name tag. If you want to simplify, you can just go buy that. They're like 300, if you get them on a spool, they're like 300 stickers for like 10 bucks. And that'll last you a while. Um, but, you know, I'd go buy, I don't know, like three or four rolls of the of the, the green ones and the black ones and just have them in my box. And I'd take it with me every time I go there. And then when I, I tell Allison, hey, Allison, when we, Allison was the, the gal who used to do our check-in. Um, and so I'd tell Allison, hey, look, when we get down to the last roll, when we start the last roll, just send me an email that we need more, whatever we need. And I will go ahead and order those. That way they come in and we've got them there. So do that and then, you know, buy in the Sharpie markers. You probably get those at an office store or Walmart or whatever for five bucks uh, for a bunch of them. And then there's probably a cost if you get to this point for having the check-in person, like paying for Allison, if you were going to do that. Or if you're partnered with a lender or there's another real estate agent on your team, like Tammy would occasionally check in people if Allison wasn't there. T Tammy was uh, more like uh, my... She's my wife. She's more like the back-end support admin person. You know, she'd handle contract to close and stuff like that. Um, she was very shy, introverted, and did not like checking people in, but Allison loved it, so she'd check people in. But if you had like a lender or partner or someone else who wanted to do that or insurance agent or whatever, who could check people in at the front desk while you're teaching, because there's inevitably going to be people strolling in after you've started, and it's a distraction for you to pause and check people in afterward. So you probably do at some point need some type of check-in person, guarding the door, giving out name tags, getting people to register with their form, giving them the stuff they need, the book and everything else. Because that's an important part, right? You don't want to like have someone show up late and not capture their information, capturing quotes and capture the information because they're a prospective new client because they showed up 10 minutes late to the class, right? You don't want to do that. However, so I've summarized like all the expenses here. The biggest expense of running a investor club is time by far. By far, all these other costs, relatively small, right? We're talking, I don't know, just kind of eyeballing this. I don't know if this is true or not, but maybe in the neighborhood of like $200 a month for everything. You know, once you have some setup fees and stuff like that, maybe it's like 200 bucks a month, you know, in order to run an investor club. If you get bigger, it may be a little bit more with some of the hard costs and stuff like that. But, um, you know, then you're bigger. I mean, then it's, it's worthwhile doing that. So maybe 200 bucks a month. But really, it's that, you know, especially early on, it's the full day it takes you to prepare a one or two hour presentation. Um, I, th I think my mother, my mother's a professor, or she's retired now, but she was a professor of uh, nursing. She was a doctor of nursing and taught at the college level, like nurse practitioners and stuff like that. Um, and I think I asked her once, I was like, you know, what is your like prep time to classroom time ratio? Like how long does it take you to prep? 
And she told me some crazy number. And I've since verified Tammy's would occasionally send this because I'm, I'm obsessed with this, like how much time it takes to prep for a class. So Tammy also sent me some other information. I believe the ratio is about 10 hours to one. So it should take you about 10 hours of prep time to do one hour of classroom time. And you may be thinking, ah, I could do it in 15 minutes, James. I don't know, you're crazy. Or maybe it's two to one for you, right? But I think if you go in there expecting, hey, this is not a, this is not a 15 minute job. This is not a 30 minute job. This is probably like two afternoons um, where you're prepping for a class for the week and you can get better over time and you can steal from yourself and kind of optimize and do that. Um, but it's probably, you know, I, I would say most weeks it was probably a full day's prep for teaching a class, especially early on, making new stuff, making it look good, checking it, practicing, you know, all that stuff. So time is probably your biggest thing. But if you remember, you know, what we're taught as real estate agents, it's, you know, you're supposed to be spending three to four hours a day doing lead generation. Well, this is lead generation, right? This is just a very specialized, hyper-focused type of lead generation. You're, you're, you're doing stuff to add value to real estate investors in order to attract them to you so that you can help them buy or sell properties. So it's part lead generation, part you getting better at your processes and systems because when you have to teach a class on this is how you know we, we, we look at properties, you need to be able to document your system and say, this is how we handle different things. This is how you know this works in our business. And so I think that that has a, it's, it's like part prep, part lead generation, part you improving your business and developing processes and systems and, and getting better and researching and becoming more knowledgeable. So I think it's worthwhile. I, I, I think that it is a great way to get leads and develop business and to do awesome and to uh, really serve your real estate investors and help them and be a service and add value and be rewarded for adding value. So I think it's worthwhile. All right, so that's all I got. That's the cost of running a real estate investor group. Tomorrow, I'm going to do a very similar presentation, but I'm going to talk about the cost of running the podcast because I think you could do them separately. I think they become super powerful when you do both of them together. So I'll share with you the costs of running a podcast. Some of them are going to overlap. Like you're probably going to want to have the PowerPoint presentation, but some of them do not. And so I'll talk to you about the difference of what it costs to run a podcast and, and how that all works. Um, and then I will share with you those numbers. And then you have kind of a good list of the cost of running the investor club, cost of running the podcast, and you'll be able to combine them together to say, I'll take the recordings from class, publish them to the podcast, and I'll be good there. All right, that's all I got for you. I hope you enjoyed class. This has been James Orr. Bye-bye for now.